0: In 1946, Elizabeth Catlett goes to Mexico City. It's night. She's 2,700 miles from home. She's dizzy from the altitude. And she falls in with some artists from the Taller de Grafica Popular, a revolutionary studio in every sense of the word. The next night, she and the artists go to a cafe. And Elizabeth Catlett falls in love. That could be the end of the story right there. I mean, it's classic, right? Pretty much as long as people have made art. People have made art far from home. They've left. Flown the coop. Blown the taco stand of wherever they were from to set up somewhere else. Somewhere more interesting. More affordable. More likely to feature in an Audrey Hepburn movie. They've become... Expatriates, expats, strangers in a strange land. Like Picasso in Paris or Salvador Dali in New York. I'm sure there's a prehistoric painting in the caves of France of some expat Neanderthal wearing a beret and art smock, trying to fit in. You find your people wherever they might be. And then you go home. But that's not what happens to Elizabeth Catlett. She stays in Mexico year after year, decade after decade. She gets married, she has children. She becomes one of the most celebrated artists in the United States despite not having lived there in years. In the end, Elizabeth Catlett lives for 66 years in Mexico until, one thing after another, she can't come back to the United States, even when she wants to. This is The Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Today, a story of erasing borders. And finding identity in the world at large, a kind of antidote to nationalism, and a happy ending for anyone who's never fit in. I'm Tim Gehring. In the winter of 1915, the movie The Birth of a Nation comes out, glorifying the Ku Klux Klan. It's the first movie ever screened in the White House. And President Woodrow Wilson thinks it's great. Thousands of African Americans are being killed across the country in lynchings and riots, actual armed battles over the color of their skin. And the junk science of eugenics is being used to justify white supremacy, right? The notion that light-bodied people are superior to black-bodied. And the president thinks a movie portraying the KKK as the saviors of America is fine. In fact, the guy who wrote the book that The Birth of a Nation is based on, a book called The Klansmen*, is a friend of Woodrow Wilson. But three months later, in April 1915, Elizabeth Catlett is born in Washington, D.C., not far from the White House. Her grandparents had been enslaved. Her father died before she was born. World War I is now underway. And this is the world she's born into. A world where nationalism and white supremacy are going great guns, like literally. And she would be going nowhere. Or so it would appear. Elizabeth's father had been a math professor. And she is steeped in social justice. Her elementary school was named after Lucretia Mott, the Quaker abolitionist. And her high school was named for Paul Ernst Dunbar, the African American slash dean of the Harlem Renaissance. So she ends up for college at Howard University. But still, this is Jim Crow. Elizabeth ends up at Howard only because her first choice, the Carnegie Institute of Technology in Pittsburgh, rejects her scholarship. Once the college finds out, she's black. Elizabeth graduates with an art degree and starts teaching high school in North Carolina. But after two years, she leaves. She's had enough of the low salary that black teachers are offered. And she leaves for Iowa, of all places, to see Grant Wood of all people. You know, the guy who painted the famous American Gothic picture of the Stoic farmer with his daughter or wife and Pitchfork. Grant Wood is teaching at the University of Iowa and Elizabeth decides to get her Masters of Fine Arts there and it changes her life because Wood teaches her to work with what she knows. So Elizabeth starts painting black people especially black women. Eventually, she moves to Harlem, the largest black community in the country. And then, suddenly, she stops painting. Okay, so for most of history, identity has basically meant one thing, right? Place. Where you're from is who you are. You're German, you're Spanish, you're, I don't know, Babylonian. And you carry this identity with you, even if you leave the country, right? You're an American in Paris, as Gershwin put it. Not a straight, and white, middle-aged man who's pretty good at tap dance. This is a pretty effective way of raising armies. It's us against them. It's why so many Americans signed up to fight in World War I maybe the most nationalistic war that's ever been fought. Now, Elizabeth Catlett, along with others like her, is not so keen on this nationalist view of identity. Because, come on, America's identity, then, is a white guy in a white house getting nostalgic for white guys in white hoods. So, in 1946, Elizabeth is in Harlem working for the George Washington Carver School. And she's only made one painting and one sculpture in an entire year. Frankly, she's more interested in the school, in helping people get a leg up, than art. And then, someone from a foundation suggests she pack her bags, get out of town, get a change of scenery, and gives her the money to do it. That's when she decides to go to Mexico. Now, this isn't Mexico City, the megalopolis of today. In 1946, Mexico City is a calm, beautiful place, according to Elizabeth. A sunshiny, green, lovely city where everything moves slowly. I know, hard to believe. Elizabeth used to tell this anecdote about waiting for a bus and talking to a friend at the bus stop. The bus comes and she says, Sorry, I have to go. And her friend says, No, don't worry, another bus will come along. It's that kind of town. Mexico City is also where Diego Rivera, the muralist, and other well-known artists are making great public statements about solidarity and the public good and the common man. Frankly, communism. Which, in a way, is an alternate identity. We're all in this together. Elizabeth likes this idea. She studies with Diego Rivera, and communism isn't completely new to her. In fact, she's married to an artist who's a card-carrying communist. The African-American artist Charles White. That's right. When I said earlier that Elizabeth had fallen in love on her second night in Mexico City, it was with another man, a Mexican man. But she's already married. So after just a few months in Mexico, Elizabeth goes back to the United States to start divorce proceedings. And then she returns to Mexico for good. Elizabeth starts making art again. She's working in the Taller de Grafica Popular, the, the print co op, where artists are pushing messages of solidarity with the poor and oppressed through graphic arts, like posters and prints. They want to make art for all, arte popular, when they're not marching for justice. In fact, the studio had become notorious a few years earlier in 1940 when a member used it to prepare for an assassination attempt on Leon Trotsky, the Soviet exile who opposed Joseph Stalin. But Elizabeth isn't interested in communism, really. She's interested in purpose. Art for me, she says, must develop from a necessity within my people. It must answer a question, or wake somebody up, or give a shove in the right direction." She starts making a series of prints called The Negro Woman, in one of them called I Am the Negro Woman. She depicts a black woman's chiseled, frowning face in extreme close-up, like something carved onto Mount Rushmore. In a portrait of Harriet Tubman, the underground railroad conductor, she shows Tubman as a heroic, almost military figure, pointing to some unknown destination in the distance like Washington crossing the Delaware. In a later version of the print, she would give Tubman a rifle. So, what does Elizabeth find in Mexico? Kinship, uh, solidarity with other brown-bodied people, a husband. But being in Mexico is also about not being Mexican, or anything else. She really believes in a borderless society. This idea of an interdependent and connected world. A more fluid identity. Beyond nationalism. Transnationalism is what this idea comes to be called. In fact, Elizabeth's art has been called a transnational visual narrative of individual and collective identity based in multiple sources of inspiration and social commitments. You get the idea. She's pulling influences from pre-Columbian Mexican sculpture and Diego Rivera's murals and creating an almost universal image of dignity from her very specific identity of African-American woman. Look at one of her most powerful prints, an image of a female sharecropper from the early 1950s. It's in the collection of almost every large American art museum, including the Minneapolis Institute of Art the sharecropper is kind of an archetype of oppressed people, right? Stuck in a rigged system. But here, with a commanding pose and almost a halo of a straw hat, her sharecropper has become a saint, laboring in any patch of hot sun anywhere in the world. In 1958, Elizabeth becomes the first female teacher of fine art at the National University in Mexico City. And she later becomes head of the sculpture department, molding or cutting these incredibly smooth figures out of clay and wood and stone, like they were found in a riverbed or melted from the Earth's core. That same year, Elizabeth is arrested, along with other expats, during a railroad workers' strike in Mexico City. The US government declares her an undesirable alien, and her US citizenship is revoked. In fact, for nearly 10 years, she can't even get a travel visa to the US, even when she finds out her mother has died. Finally, in 1971, Elizabeth gets a special visa to attend the opening of her own show at the Studio Museum in Harlem. She's been forbidden from traveling to the U.S., but somehow she's become really popular. Her sculptures and her posters of Malcolm X and Angela Davis have made her a hero of the Black Power movement. But she's a Mexican citizen now. Her husband, a respected artist in his own right, never learned English, so she's learned Spanish. And when she retires from the university in 1975, she moves to Cuernavaca, a lush, artistic city in the mountains, where the Aztec emperors built their summer homes. For the last 30 years of her life, now that she's allowed back in the U.S., Elizabeth goes back and forth between Mexico and New York, She becomes the transnationalist she always wanted to be. Flying across borders like they don't even matter. In a plane, in the clouds, where for hours at a time you could literally be above it all. You could be anyone, anywhere. This has been the Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art, with new episodes coming out monthly. Find us on the web at artsmia.org. Leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you.